Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is Tuesday night. That means it's On The Beat Live, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. On the beat live comes the beat writer, Greg Barnes, the best beat writer in America covering college sports. And also Gregory Hall training to be the best beat writer to replace Greg Barnes when he goes off to the PGA tour um, and caddies <laughs> for his son on the PGA tour. There we that's, go. That's more like it. <laughs> that, that makes a little more sense. <laughs> and uh, so Gregory Hall will take over that ship and, you know, doesn't dozen 15 years or so when they start making a ton of money playing golf gentlemen uh on the beat live has been a little feisty the last few weeks this week may not be as feisty as much but i don't want to look back too much um because you can always do that and you can always drive that 2020 hindsight bus but greg um several of the questions we've had coming in are about that game but I wanted to get your overall take, not on the outcome. I don't think the loss was a huge surprise, but what did surprise you after you've broken it down? You've listened to all the comments afterwards. You've written your stories. Um, I've got a couple things I want to talk about, but I wanted to get your take um, from inside that press box watching this game unfold Friday night. Well, the main thing for me is we knew this offseason North Carolina had to replace Javante Williams and Michael Carter and De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsom. And that's almost 5,000 yards and almost 50 touchdowns from last year from that quartet. That's not going to be replaced immediately. Uh, However, there are good players at those positions remaining. And they brought in Ty Chandler, who had a good career at Tennessee. Uh, They've got some guys at at wide receiver that they like and that were highly rated. And so even though there was going to be a transition period and a learning period, For some of those new faces, I think all of us thought, and I I know I did, that when you've got Sam Howe and you've got a veteran offensive line, the offensive line is going to carry the day. And as long as the defense plays better than it did last year, you'll be okay. And the most shocking thing to me was was how the offensive line was just routinely whipped. And they lost the line of scrimmage. Um. You know, Virginia Tech has got some talented players for sure. Uh, I didn't see anything Friday night to make me think that 
they're an elite team by any stretch. You know, they'll, they'll go to a bowl game this year, those kind of things. But the offense was it was just what it was, it's kind of average, even though they left points on the on the uh, field. And the defense was good. I mean, give the, the defense credit. But the way that Virginia Tech dominated the line of scrimmage when, when North Carolina had the ball was shocking to me. Yes, Brian Anderson was out, but we saw Kieran Johnson play last year against Wake Forest and play great. Um, and then you have the whole thing with switching Joshua Zudu and Awesome Richards there on the, the left side. Uh, you know, again, as you said, Tommy, I'm sure hindsight, Max saying, yeah, that probably wasn't the best decision, but it happens. But just the way the offensive line played really kind of set the tone for the entire offense. Uh, and Sam Howell was just put in a position where he was trying to make plays. And anytime you have a quarterback doing that, uh, you're going to put yourself in harm's way. And uh, we saw that with the interceptions and the sacks. So the, the main takeaway for me, again, is just the, the offensive line play and uh, how poor that really was. I agree 100% there. I mean, people are already sitting in on the chat about, um, you know, certain predictions that we made not looking so bright now. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, football games are long and football seasons are long. And I'm the only person that said Carolina was going to be 12 and 0, and I was pressured. Now, I only had some fans by the people in the chat, right? Uh, by the same people that are talking <laughs> trash about it right now. So, such is life of, of a talking head and all. But, you, you know, I think I like what Max said after it, after the game and this week is that um, had they won that game, or beating some Georgia State type team, then the issues that that are there may not have gotten fixed or even looked at until later in the season. Gregory, to that point, and to Greg's point, the offensive line was the last position that I thought would have any issues. Sam Howell being over here. But the offensive line was just, wow. And the switch, we can talk about the switch, but yeah, that is, if I had to pick one thing out of the entire game, and that is the most concerning going forward, quite frankly, is that offensive line play, Gregory. What say you? Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that they put Azudu at tackle. Um, obviously, he is their best offensive lineman, and he played like it on Friday. And he can play all four positions that's not center. And I'm sure he could play center if they really wanted to, but if you're going to have, if you're not going to play Brian Anderson, even though he was available, um, like they said afterwards, they were cautious with both him and storm duck with the injuries. So they kept him out. Um, I don't understand why you pull a Zudu and put him on the edge when you already have Jordan Tucker on one side and you know, he's solid, but you need someone next to cure on. And that's why going in, we weren't really that concerned about the offensive line, not having Brian Anderson, because you know, we, at least what we heard about and what we've seen is that Kieran Johnson could handle it. Um, but it wasn't, we didn't really think communication would be an issue. And so if you're already not having your starting center and then you pull a Zudu to the outside, that's kind of where and a lot of people on the boards and chat um, were just kind of like, why, why are you doing that? And it leads to the questions of just, obviously it's something they practiced and it just didn't come to fruition in the game. It's not like they made the decision morning of Virginia Tech. 
Um, that had to been something that they work on. They move, they move easy all over the place all the time. Um, just to kind of keep him fresh. So it wasn't like a, Oh crap, let's, let's, I think it was called, I think one of them, one of the, either Mac or Phil Greg called, said experiment in one of their quotes. I'm not sure if that, if I remember that correctly. Um, but yeah, so. I, th- I think there's a couple things here that that's worth discussing. Number one, uh, Kieran Johnson has been running with the ones throughout training camp. So they're probably at this point, they're 30 practices in with Kieran being the, the number one guy. Cause you, know, Brian Anderson had the, had the boot on his foot before the start of training camp and uh, just hadn't gotten back to where they're comfortable with him playing a lot of snaps. So you, I mean, that's a lot of time to work on communication issues. Clearly, some things crept in that were problematic. So that's one thing. The, the bigger thing is, so as, as Max said and Gregory mentioned there, they love Joshua Zudu. Jason Staples loves Joshua Zudu. Um, he's, he's big. He's, he's long. He's got great feet. He's going to be an NFL guy probably for a long time if he stays healthy. So I understand the idea that, hey, here's this guy. We can play him anywhere. Let's put him at left tackle. Um, it was late in preseason when they decided to make that change. So that, that does raise some questions about, okay, you've already got your, your starting centers out. And you, what Gregory said there about the chemistry issues and the communication issues with the backup center and then a new face at left guard. But to me – if you're going to move a Zudu to left tackle, which is fine. Sure. Does awesome Richards have the experience to play left guard? And the way, the reason I phrase it that way is, I mean, aren't there other guys like a William Barnes, who's gotten a lot of snaps at guard uh, and Montellus, uh, Jonathan Adorno, who have probably taken a lot more snaps at guard than awesome Richards has. So does that mean that Richards, even though he has less experience, is still better than those guys? Um, and so I think that's what, kind of where the questions come in. Is, is, is Richards, without a doubt, your, your fifth best offensive lineman, uh, no matter where he plays, at guard or tackle, even though he doesn't have the experience at guard? Um, if you look at it from that perspective, I think that raises some concerns. If you look at it just from the fact of, hey, they like a Zudu, they think he can be a superstar, as Max said. Well, that makes sense. You want your best player to be in that position at left tackle. Um, you know, were there concerns about Austin Richards trying to block the defensive ends? So a lot of things like that, that, that kind of pop up to the surface to make you kind of think about. And of course, we, we don't have the full details on those things. Um, but but those, those are some of the alarms that kind of went off as I was listening to, to Mac and, and Phil. Uh, explain some of the things that they did with the offensive line. Yeah, it's also a reason Mac talks about having a a warm up game to yep. to smooth those bumpy patches. You, you know, that, like I said, offensive line that is something I'll watch from here out because that that has got to be fixed. Whatever happens, Brian Anderson needs to get back healthy, and that'll certainly help a lot. Um, but let's move uh, to another position that really wasn't surprising to us and it's at least not to me by the way i had the over on josh downs having 1200 or more i believe that was what we have 
and I well, he's already ahead of pace so he's well ahead of pace so uh, anybody that bet the under there is going to be a take an L um, while I'll take a dub but the rest of them Gregory and, and we had a question off Twitter um, who's going to step up besides Josh Downs and Jason's breakdown of the Emory Simmons play there in front of us in front of the Carolina section there in the second half or late in the, in the fourth quarter actually that's a touchdown catch that you got to make. And so the question is, is it Emory Simmons? Is it that guy? Is he going to be the guy? Somebody has to step up because it was pretty clear to me watching Virginia Tech's defenses. They didn't respect those guys on the outside. Not one bit. They couldn't cover Josh Downs anyway, but they had no respect for what Carolina put on the edges out there. So, Greg, after one game, who's it going to be? Well, we talked about this last week, Tommy. Yes, you lost Diami. Yes, you lost Daz. Those are two known quantities. But you thought you were going to have Bo Corrales, and you thought you were going to have a, a completely healthy Choffrey Brown. Now, Bo has more experience and has shown more on the field than Choffrey has. Um, but you don't have those. You didn't have Bo last week, and you know, I'm not exactly sure how healthy Choffrey is. Although I mean, he played about half the game, so clearly healthy enough. Um, and so you are missing some key pieces there, and, and some experienced pieces. So now you're talking about Emory's played some, Antoine Green's played some. They haven't been the key guy. I mean, as good as Josh Downs looked, you know, like he told us tonight, he played like 20 snaps in the Orange Bowl. He played 60-plus on Friday night. Well, he had 11 targets on yeah. Friday. 20 snaps to 11 targets. Yep. So even for him, uh, you, he didn't have the experience. But he's, he's an elite talent for sure. So I think, I think part of it is Virginia Tech's cornerbacks and their defensive backs are, are big and strong and very good. I'm not sure if, you know, if, I, if I'll say they're the best UNC will face this year. But they're, they're probably in the upper half of what the ACC has in terms of defensive backs. Uh, add that to the crowd. Add that to the inexperience of the wide receivers. And you can kind of see how some of these issues pop up. Um, I mean, there, there's technique involved. Um, there's the nerves. There's a lot of different things. So all that to be said, I think the wide receivers are going to get better. They've actually got experience now in live game situations with Sam Howell. That will only get better. This weekend's game against Georgia State will be critical for that because Carolina should take care of business Saturday. They should be able to have some confidence, be able to hit on some big plays, feel feel good about themselves, and that goes a long way. Um, so I don't I don't say I'm not saying it's an overreaction what happened Friday night, but I do think things will get dramatically better for the wide receivers, just like I think they will for the running backs. Um, but is there a Deami Brown that's going to step back in? No. Uh, Josh Downs will fill Daz's spot for sure. But, you know, when Sam Howe, I think, was what, 5 of 15 on passes over 10 yards, 0 of 4 on passes over 20 yards? As Phil Longo said, the deep ball is critical for this offense to flourish. We saw it last year. Uh, and so they really like Emory Simmons. He's the guy they've praised for a long time. You know, uh, Antoine Green's kind of been the enigma. Great talent, great size. Uh, you know, he, he's acknowledged kind of battling the, the mental aspect of things. And then you got some of the younger guys. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if some of the younger guys get more reps 
to see if they can take some of those snaps. But I have a feeling that they're going to stick with Emory and Antoine uh, for now and maybe slowly work Joffrey back in. And that'll probably be your key and core rotation uh, moving forward. Yeah, and yeah. you got to have the trust, right? You, Howell's yeah. got to have the trust that those guys are going to catch balls if they're not terribly wide open. Go ahead, Gregory. Well, it's just you look at targets, right? Because we can talk about who, like how they played and things like that. Um, and I think part of the reason why Antoine Green only got three targets was more the separation issue. And then when it comes – so Josh got 11, right, and eight receptions on 11 targets. Emory Simmons got nine targets and had three receptions, three of which I think were pass breakups, if I don't recall if I recall correctly, um, just like DBs being all over him. So the trust was there between Sam to get the ball to Emory, and I think that plays with Emory's ability to catch the ball, his hands, and things like that. Tommy, you mentioned the touchdown pass, touchdown that should have been a touchdown that wasn't targeted to Emory. So to answer your question about who's the guy, right now they don't – based on the play, you can't say Emory was that much better than Antoine or vice versa. I think they were they played two different games, um, and Justin Olsen's one target, he got ripped away for uh, interception. So I don't know. I'm obviously, there's improvement to be had. And Greg, you mentioned the running backs there, um, thinking they'll get better. I don't even think they had a bad game. Someone asked in the chat, did Sam keep it too many times on RPOs? The answer is yes, 100%. Um, Longo said that I think two of the sacks were because Sam made the, made, a, made the incorrect call on the RPOs. And I don't know if that's a trust thing with the running backs. Maybe he was like, he was just trying to make plays. Um, and just kept it, and he's, he's had that issue in the past. I mean, the last interception was the exact same thing that we've seen the last two years, and what um, Ross, Isaiah, and Sean, we were in the office when that play happened. It was like, I mean, it's year three, and it's the same type of mistake that you made in the, it made in the past, keeping the ball too long and then making the decision to throw it away when you're already wrapped up, and it, you can't control where the ball goes at that point. Um so I don't think the running backs are a unit to be concerned about, mainly because, I mean, it's the fewest carries that they've gotten since Phil Longo's been here, right? So I think it's more of an O-line wide receiver thing than it is running backs. Just you brought up the running backs, Greg, so I'm kind of transitioning here. Yeah. I just thought it was something I wanted to talk about. So Sam has been sacked 76 times in 26 <laughs> career games. That's incredible. That's nice. Yeah, uh, I, I wanted to throw this in here. Somebody asked on the on the message board today, and I, I think it's a good question. You, North Carolina doesn't have a bunch of really tall receivers. And in theory, a guy like Bo Corrales, when healthy, can be that big Bug Howard, Quinshawn Davis type that can go up and wrestle balls away against bigger defensive backs. Uh, that is true in, in how that offense was run. However, the way the air raid is, is run for Phil Longo, there shouldn't be many contest, contested catches. He doesn't want a bunch of 50-50 balls. They call it 80-20, right? Yeah, now it's 80-20. It's the, and it's he the, talked about that in the presser this week, that they're not used to having a ton of contested catches. Right, and then people ask what that means. Well, the, the wide receivers are, are taught to define grass, open grass, okay? So if a wide receiver on the outside, like his, his concept is to run a post route. So he's going to go up and he's going to take a basically a hard slant, you know, either 15, 20 yards up and go kind of toward the goalpost. That's the idea there. 
Well, if that safety over the top is staying with him or drops back to make sure he doesn't get behind him, he can sit down in front of where that safety is. Uh, you know, if there's a little opening there in the zone, he can, he can make the decision to sit there. Or if the safety is not shading properly, he can turn it up field more. And so while you have routes that you're running, it's not the old school pro style. It's basically you're, you're running an idea, a concept, and Sam Howell knows what that concept is, but Sam Howell also knows that, hey, if the safety's here, he may not take that same route. He may break it off and go vertical, or he may sit down in, in where that zone is. So the wide receiver and the quarterback kind of know that. And the important thing there is what you mentioned, Tommy, is the chemistry aspect. Sam Howell knew what Daz Newsom was going to do every single time. He knew what Deami was going to do. And so you have that level of trust there. Uh, and, and he may not know exactly what Emory Simmons or Antoine Green is going to do. Um, and so that's when you start talking about needing big receivers to win the 50-50 balls, that's not really how this offense is built. It, it's built to, to find open grass, to have easy catches. That's why a lot of these air raid quarterbacks, right, have very high completion percentages. It's not because they're incredibly accurate, although Sam Howell is. It's because they're throwing to the spots where the only guy that can catch the ball is the wide receiver. And that's a scheme thing. That's not an individual talent thing. Um, and so I think that's an important distinction to make. Let me ask you, talking about the scheme thing, and we talked about the trust, and you brought it up there again. Uh, I think the atmosphere, I think the hype of the game, I think the – the game got to these guys a little bit. I mean, cause you can seven on seven all summer and you can build wonderful chemistry in practice. And then when it gets real and the stadium's rocking and there's 65,000 people screaming at you, um, the experience factor comes in there to be able to handle that. And I'm not, I will not ever say that the environment didn't bother Carolina. Um, I think it did hundred percent. And if they say it didn't, then I will just disagree because um, that place was on fire. And I think it got to the younger guys. But, Greg, to the scheme question, and, and this is something we can talk about more with Jason on the game plan when we record that uh, tomorrow. It, it, Jason has that breakdown of the glance route and all that. Are teams catching on um, in year three here, starting year three with not only Phil Longo, what he wants to do, but also what Jay Bateman wants to do? I mean – you know, it's like you have a play and then you have a counter. The defense puts a counter and then the counter to the counter. I think that's where we're at with this Carolina offense. Speak to that a little bit with Longo's. What was what was Larry Fedora's comment at his opening press conference? Don't sit down. Right. Don't sit down or you'll miss a <laughs> touchdown. Don't go get a drink or you'll miss a touchdown, right? Uh, and he at that just point, had the wrong team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the reason that's relevant is that was 2012. And so a couple years before then, and then a couple years after, it was all tempo. It was all not just tempo. It was all breakneck speed tempo. You go as fast as you can go. If you can average 80 plays, I mean, I remember watching a clinic, Fedora was – uh, giving at one of the, the high school things. I think he said 80 or 85 plays a game is what he wanted. And then look what happened at the end of his career. All of a sudden, it went from going as fast as you can go to now we're going to be multi-tempo. 
Now we're going to go fast in certain instances, but then we're also going to slow it down because what happens? That confuses the defense now. They don't know if, if, if they need to be ready to go or if they're going to have to sit there for a second. And what happened was is that defenses realized that, look, if they're going to go fast, fast, fast all the time, we're going to simplify our calls. We're going to make sure we have a nickel back on the field pretty much all the time. And so it's not a big deal where we're trying. You remember how Nick Saban had the whole thing with the spread because he was trying to sub guys in and out, and he couldn't, and it ticked him off? Those days are long gone. Now you never hear him talk about it anymore because he's got guys on the field that can handle that. And that's just the evolution. It's the back and forth, like you said, Tommy. It's the counter to the counter. Uh, so tempo's important now, but it's not. nobody goes as fast as you can go really anymore. That's right. not the trend. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think there's any question that you know, Jay Bateman's whole uh, disguise pressures, you know, people kind of understand what he's trying to do. And it's up to him to be smart enough to, to be ahead of those, those changes, those adjustments that the uh, offensive coaches are making. So far, he's done a good job with that. But the same with Longo, like the, the little RPO slant. I mean, defenses have learned you can jump on that pretty quickly. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the reasons I asked Phil back in preseason, uh, you, how do you decide what adjustments need to be made in the offseason? And what they do is they go and they look at every single play they run. And if it's losing efficiency year to year, then they'll replace it with another play. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's changing. Now that we're in year three, people are getting a better handle of what to expect. Uh, and that's just going to be more challenging for Phil and Jay because their schemes are no longer the bright, shiny new thing. They're going to have to progressively get better and change things uh, to, to keep that level of efficiency up. Yeah, because, I mean, they're clearly – it, it, what did we say? What did I say was going to be the first play against Virginia Tech? RPO slant the downs. Yep. And Virginia Tech was all over it yep. um, most of the night. Go ahead, Gregory, before I take a break. Talking scheme and things like that and getting used to it, my mind goes back to Cam Newton's year at Auburn. They ran the exact same play over and over and over again. Why? Because they had an ex- like one of the best, probably the best offensive line in, fo- in college football. They had Cam Newton, who's probably one of the most physically dominant quarterbacks college football has ever seen. And it was either a QB draw or a handoff over and over and over again because it worked. And defenses knew they were coming, but you had the skill, right? You knew your guys could outplay defenses, even if defenses knew it would happen. Last year, when Sam would throw it deep to Diami, you can't tell me that the defense didn't know that was going to happen. But even if they did know, and even if they did bring out a spring of safety over, Diami could outrun them and Sam could get it to him. So when you have a drop off in skill like there is this year, and that's no knock to Emory Simmons or Antoine Green, but we know they're not Diami Brown, right? When you have that drop off, something else needs to change. And it can't just magically be Emory Simmons needs to be better. Does that need to be a part of it based on what we saw against on Friday? Yes. But then there also needs to be that creativity factor that Greg was just referring to, to keep defensive, keep defensives, defenses guessing so that Emory Simmons can get open and not rely on just having to beat his man one-on-one. Does he need to beat his man one-on-one? Yes. So it's not an either or thing. It's a both type of thing. 
when it comes to schemes with Phil Longo and things like that, because they don't have the skill that they had last year. That's obvious. You can't keep running the same plays. I'm not saying they ran the same plays throughout the entire game, but the times that Sam was trying to go deep, I think it was 0 and 4 on passes 20 plus yards down the field and a couple he overthrew. And they said that the deep ball was not something that they were confident in going back. So yeah, I just wanted to, as far as schemes, wanted to say that. No, you nailed it there. And I think that's the thing is uh, you got to work it. it. You know, there's a reason that four four or five teams are always in the playoff because they're better than everybody and they have all the skill players and they can do whatever the heck they want to do and other teams can't stop it. And Carolina's not at that point, which that, that brings up, it relies on the coaching to put these guys in better spots. And, and you're right, Diami could – he could win his battle every time, and Sam could throw it out there to him. Just go get it. Uh, let's take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They are sponsors of this podcast and friends of Inside Carolina, and you, the premium subscriber, if you are, in fact, a premium subscriber. If you're not, you need to be. Um, so if you're listening to this, get on Inside Carolina, click up there, go VIP. That is not go Vipolis. That is go VIP uh, premium member. For Inside Carolina premium subscriber or premium content, you get all the information. Plus, you get 10% off your order for Johnny T-shirt. Also, check out some Blue Shark Vodka. They're the sponsor of our post-game podcast with Ross Martin and Sean Drone. A pretty good show after the game. Friday night, they'll be there every game right after the kick or, excuse me, right after the final horn. And they're sponsored by Blue Shark. Connor Barth and his boys knocking it out of the park with some uh, refreshments. And there's a bottle of it right there behind me if you're on the YouTube channel. Take a short break for the audio folks to hear some national ads. We'll be right back on the beat live. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, boys, we're back here. Second half of On The Beat Live, 9.33 Eastern on Tuesday, September 7th. Greg, we've talked about the offense. Uh, the offensive line, very disappointing, has to get fixed. Wide receivers will get better, um, but they've got to they've got to get put in better positions, and they've got to make plays when they're in positions to make them. We didn't really talk about the running backs because I thought the running game was fine. It it just didn't run it enough. And Greg, that leads to my next point, and we've talked about it briefly. And Longo mentioned it. Uh, Sam's got to hand the ball off more and give his guys opportunities. So how does that breakdown happen? Clearly, Javante and Michael Carter not coming back. They were great. Um, you could always get yards with them. But I don't think Ty Chandler is that huge of a drop-off. I just don't. Maybe I'll be shown that as we go along. Um, Caleb Hood, don't really know. He didn't get much chance. And DJ Jones almost got killed out there by a missed block. So running game, Greg. Your thoughts on it on very, very limited attempts at Virginia Tech? Yeah, I, I want to say it was two of the first three possessions. The running backs didn't touch the ball. Mm. Um, and you can see it. Yeah, you just just that fact alone, you can't say that what like 
it was oh because they were behind and trying to work back right because right. like if that's in the if it was two of the last three drives then it's like okay they're down they're trying to make something happen but continue i just yeah yeah so you you talk about counters to schemes tommy um and i think it's fascinating like the the rpo deal and when you get into the zone reads and zone option reads and all these kind of things, you know, if the quarterback is either going to hand off or keep as a defense, what do you want him to do? You want the quarterback to keep every time, especially Sam Howe. Lamar Jackson's a different story, but Sam Howe, you want to want him to keep it because he's not the runner that the running backs are and you get free licks on him. And so you have to factor that in, I think to, how defenses have adjusted over the years to some of these zone options and the, the RPO game and, and some of this stuff. Uh, they're starting to understand that offensive coordinators, and Phil Longo is the same way, just like Larry Fedora, they want to take what the defense gives them. It's taken a while, but defenses have kind of caught up to that. Uh, so, I mean, that's what Jay Bateman's system's designed on. He shows you something, like on third down, he's going to show you five guys at the line a lot of times. Now, as we saw against Virginia Tech in the first half, first half, you know, he would show five and then drop two. So he'd only rush three, which is – it didn't work out for him. As Virginia Tech, you know, get, hit on their first six third down opportunities. Um, so all that kind of comes into how you're structuring your offense and adapting to what defenses are doing. Um, and it also kind of gets back to you know, one thing Mac Brown told us back in the spring – he wants to be able to run the ball when he wants to run the ball. And that's, that's one of the things I, I have a hard time with is when you start putting so much on to Sam Howell. I mean, at some point, I mean, the, the coach is there to, to call a play. And it's not just, hey, Sam, you need to make a decision out there about what we're going to do. Tell him what you want him to do. And if it's an issue where maybe he just has an off game like he had Friday where maybe he's not making the right reads, well, then you say, okay, look, we're, we're going to run some power here uh, and we're going to take this decision out of your hand and we're going to run because we want to run. And we're not going to take what the defense gives us. We're going to be the better team. We've got five veteran guys up front. We're going to run it down your throat. And we talked about this with Larry Fedora, somewhat of an issue with Phil Longo and all, all these kind of concepts is when you start relying on just working around the defense instead of telling the defense what you're going to do, uh, it presents the idea of being soft. We've talked about that a lot. You know, Roy Williams always said he's playing two bigs. Why? Because he wanted to play two bigs, and he thought if he played two bigs, he could beat you every single time. And there's nothing you could do about it. That's what Alabama does. Although Alabama's gotten into RPO game too. Um, so it's one of those things. A lot of it's scheme. But if you don't like Sam Howe you know, keeping too often, take that decision out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit, it's foreign to kind of what Phil Longo likes to do. And I mean, we're talking about the quarterback of the best offense we have ever seen in Chapel Hill in 2020. Okay. And we're, we're talking about one specific game. Uh, so, I mean, what Phil does works clearly, but I, th- I do think those are some of the things that you should be talking about when we're talking you know, it's very easy to want to criticize Sam, and at the same time, you're like, well, I mean, he can only do so much. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, it was just a all around. I don't even know if I want to call it crap in the bed. Here's here's the thing, and Gregory, I ask you this, and I hate talking about rankings, but I've been wanting to ask. If Carolina drops 13 for losing to an unranked Virginia Tech team, 14. 14. How does Virginia Tech get ranked ahead of Carolina? Yeah, explain that dynamic. I think Greg, you pointed that out on the mm -hmm. message board, so I'm gonna let you you answer it, Gregory. If Carolina lost to a top 25 team, why drop 14? Now I'll freely admit, Carolina was nowhere near 10. They're probably where they need to be right at the moment. But explain the drop. Explain Virginia Tech's rise. Um, and I saw you post something about Auburn again. So we're gonna have to hear about Auburn and all these podcasts. I just posted. The rest of the year. I just posted a screenshot. I Sam said, Newton and I said Auburn it, comments already. Go ahead. I, I, I said, you it, if you know, you know. Bo Nix time, baby. Um, no, but I had that exact same question today when I saw the rankings because so I was going down and I had saw whoever tweeted it from the IC account that UNC was at 24th. And I was like, okay, saw that coming. Honestly, was expecting them to maybe not be ranked. And then when I went and looked at the rankings, I saw Virginia Tech was 19th. Valid. They looked like a top 20 team. Lot logically speaking, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Obviously, Virginia Tech should be ranked ahead of UNC. But if you're going to drop UNC 14 spots and then put them at 19, I don't know. It's week one. It's going to change. Um, logically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as far as UNC dropping that far. Maybe Virginia Tech should be higher, especially considering seven top 25 teams lost in week one, which is just wild. Obviously, there were two. There were a few ranked matchups, so it had to be, I think there were, what, three top 25 matchups? So there was going to be at least three teams that lost. Oh, four. There were four. Um, so I don't know. But, yeah, the rankings, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But UNC definitely shouldn't have been top 20. Virginia Tech maybe should have been a little bit higher. That's just based on what I saw, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think, I think it's simply a matter of there are some programs who have earned it. And reporters understand that they can put them in the top 10. Like a Clemson. Clemson. Clemson dropped three spots. Right. They got... I mean, they only lost 10 to three and UNC only lost 17 to 10. Yeah. And I could argue that Clemson got more manhandled than UNC did. Yeah. But you're right. Respect factors there. Clemson earned it. So, there, there. so Carolina is one and three in the last four games as a top 10 team. Um, they, you it's know, not good. Reporters why, put them. Why is that? Why is that? Who knows? Well, one, one of those is the loss to Clemson in the ACC championship game. So that skews it a little bit. Last two are the ones that are concerning. You know, Carolina was number five at Florida State, and that was just a woeful, woeful loss. Um, I traveled for that game. Yeah, I was so I was so excited. I was like, COVID, we're going down yeah. top five team, and they didn't even. At least they came back, but right. But I think I think reporters yeah. they heard they saw what happened in the Orange Bowl. They saw what all they had coming back. They saw Sam Howell, and they said, you know what? We're going to take a risk, and we're going to put Carolina at number 10. And when Carolina lost, I think there was some embarrassment and frustration on the part of a lot of media members because they had, they had touted North Carolina as this up-and-coming top-10 program, and then first night, wham, they lose it. I mean, Pete Thamel writes for Yahoo. Right after the game, he tweets, 
quote, today is our annual reminder that no one in college football history has won more off seasons than Mac Brown. Uh, And that's pretty harsh, right? But that's, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people in the media are like, dang it, we fell for it again. Um, You know, it is what it is, but do you think you fell for it? Do you put yourself in that category? Me? No. Yeah, I don't either. I don't, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't the one on here, like Tommy said. <laughs> I picked Carolina to go 12 and 0. Uh, before the game, I said nine and three and a, a cheese at bowl berth. Um, and we talked, I mean, go back and listen to Jason Staples' uh, monologue during the preseason prediction podcast. And he really breaks down the idea of you, just because a team is favored in every single game doesn't mean they're going to win every single game. Uh, you know, FBI had Carolina winning, I think, eight and a half games this year. So when you start saying, okay, well, this, you know, the metrics are saying Carolina could be eight and four, nine and three. You know, when you, when you factor that into what happened Friday night, like, okay, well, nothing's really changed. I mean, Virginia Tech is a tough road game. Well, in the prediction pod, Buck was talking a lot about like the FBI, right? And a lot of, for UNC, their favorite, it was like 60 40. Correct. I mean, exactly. 60 40 is not that much more significant than 50 50. If anything, 60 40 is right up there with 50 50. Yep. And that's why Jason was hunting for losses, right? Exactly. Hunting for losses is the right way to say it. And I, I posed the question a couple of weeks ago on the board. Uh, they're talking about you know, blowing Virginia Tech out. And I, 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 I freely admit I thought Carolina was going to win by a couple of touchdowns. Sure. Um, but that was more, that's more about Virginia Tech than West Carolina. Uh, but five and a half point favorite wins to Gregory's point only about 60% of the time. I think it's 65%, which means that the underdog wins 35%. So when you look at it like that, the stats say the history says that Virginia Tech was going to win three out of you know, three or four games out of 10 against Carolina this year. And that's the way you kind of have to look at these things. Um, you know, if they go on to lose five more games, then, yeah, we're all going to be wrong. But just because North Carolina yes. lost on the road doesn't mean that all these projections are out the window. I mean, I don't think if, if UNC goes worse than nine and three, then I don't, I don't think anyone really sees it. I mean, eight and four maybe, but nobody sees seven and five. Nope. Even after – definitely not going into Virginia Tech, and even after Virginia Tech, especially how the defense played in the second half. I mean, I said over the offseason that – this defense is going to win UNC games because UNC doesn't have to score 40 points anymore. All they had to score was 18 on Friday. If you had told anybody that UNC only needs to score 18 points and they win the game all day. Right. So, which I think leads to maybe a greater, why there's a lot more concern. It was because the offense lost the game. I think that's kind of why the alarms are going off. Right. I mean, when Sam Howell having his worst performance of his career in the offensive line, just everything we've talked about, which is kind of why the alarms were going off in everyone's everyone's heads. Yeah, so Georgia State will cure some of those alarms, um, or at least cure the wind column. Let's answer some questions uh, before we get out of here. Let's do it. Uh, um, I freely admit, and I wouldn't listen to the PA announcer too much at Virginia Tech, but Greg, your thoughts on how Eugene Asante played? A lot of people are asking and, and thought that he looked a little lost, especially how good he looked in the Orange Bowl. 
I think just Virginia Tech schemed the hell out of the linebackers. But let's hear it from you because you know much more about it than I do. Yeah, well, Texas A&M is, is very conservative and traditional in what they do offensively. Um, you know, that's a very good game to play uh, if you're a new player. Now, they'll beat you up and they'll run over you, but they're not going to trick you. and They're not going to try to really confuse you too much. But to your point, Tommy, I saw Virginia Tech did early, and they were very successful with it. Uh, and I think Eugene's probably one of those, those guys that because he hadn't played much. I mean, remember the conversations we had last year. Jay Bateman's playing Chad Surratt uh, and Jeremiah Gimmel the whole game. Why isn't Eugene Asante and Kadri Jackson playing more? We had those conversations all year long. And so, yes, Eugene did play in the Orange Bowl, but that was his first significant time. Um, so this was a unique setting. This is a true road game. Um, and when you have Virginia Tech doing what they were doing, I just think he had a he had a bad night, uh, especially early. I think he played better later in the game once they kind of settled down and figured some things out. Uh, it's a learning curve. I mean, he's one of the new pieces on that defense. It happens. He did not grade out well, uh, but he'll be he'll be better moving forward. It's an interesting, you know, all these seasons are connected in one way or another, and it's not just you know Sam Howell getting better. It's getting guys snaps. Virginia Tech, how many snaps did uh, a sub in t- uh, inside linebacker get, Greg? Gimbal and Asante played uh, all right, of them. Right, yeah. So uh, we're looking at the same sort of situation. Uh, you know, th- when, we'll be talking about this in 2022, likely, with somebody replacing Gimbal. Uh, Greg, anybody or Gregory, I'll start with you. Gregory, anybody you'd like to see get some more snaps, especially this week? Uh, I think for one, I'd like to see Chandler get some run. I'd like to see Caleb Hood get some run. Yep. And I'd like to see more um, of the young guys on the defensive line. Beyond that, I'm cool with however they want to do it. But your thoughts there? Cayman Rucker. Yeah. I mean, what, he paid – he played, what, two? Two snaps? Four or five, right? Four? I mean, yeah. yeah. He got sack on one of them. Yeah, true. Exactly. Cayman Rucker. Um um let's he see play, he, he had uh yeah definitely came in rocker javari ritzy i mean he made a couple of mistakes but for the most part he looked good i mean you already said that you're going guys the defensive line um i want to see garrett walston i know he had a drop um but i want to see the tight ends used more against georgia state and just kind of i don't know i just i love a good tight end in offense i've been saying that how good long? Luck I've with been that, saying, Gregory. i know i've been saying that forever it's not gonna happen um. Yeah, I think Cayman Rucker is really the only name that comes to mind is like that should play, and he's a guy that the staff has harped on. Um, obviously Caleb Hood as well. He only he didn't he played third behind DJ Jones when we had been told that he was not the number three guy. So I thought that was a little perplexing. Um, the SAT word for you, Tommy. Um, wow. But yeah, I I ain't dumb now, and I'll see you in the Bozo. I remember that. You better get your they're talking about you better get your uh, protector to come out to the Bozo. Someone, (laughs) someone, someone was asking about Sam Howell's grade, and it was the third worst of his career. The other two, can you name them? Gotta be like, well, it can't be the losses because he went Notre Dame. Nope. 
No. They uh, were at both in 2019. Wake Forest? Nope. Wake and App. Nope. Well, didn't spill it. It's nope. a live show, man. South Carolina and at Pitt. Okay. We're, at Pitt, I understand. We're both worse. Those were both 55s, and he graded out 56.8 yesterday. Now, it was his worst passing grade of his career, but not his worst overall offense, and the, his runs skewed that a little bit. But yeah. I thought that was – that I is interesting. That interesting. In that South Carolina game, they they basically had him handcuffed in the first half. Yeah, so, so that played a role. I mean, you don't think South Carolina just because of what he did in the second half, but yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the best grader, someone asked that. Um, Tommy, you go ahead while I find that real quick. Greg, your your take on who should get some more snaps. Uh, you know, I, I think um, Ritzy, all these guys – let, yeah, how do you think the defensive line rotation went? It's, we talked about it a lot all preseason. Greg, I know it's game one, but it was a big game. Uh, and Georgia State's going to skew it. Um, but how do you think it went Friday night with the rotation there? I think it went fine. I mean, four guys played nose tackle. That's a lot. Uh, yep. Yes. Uh, they played Bahasic, eight linemen. Yeah, Bahasic played a lot. Played the bulk of the snaps. So that's what you want. He, Vahasek played 41 snaps out of 63. Which, which is about where we talked about that yeah. might be the limit is, you know, 35 to 40. So that's not too terribly surprising there. Yeah, right. Now, Tavon Fox played 53, uh, but he was really the only guy who would create pressure. Uh, and so, I mean, when you, when you look at I me, mean, Tyron Hopper and Don Chapman were, were clearly the, the nickel guys. Uh, Hopper could come in, could play some on the end, uh, also outside linebacker. I thought that was interesting. That's where they've got him set up in that package. Uh, and then, you know, Desmond Evans and Chris Collins played a decent amount. So I think, I think we've talked about this before, Tommy. You hear the, the five stars and the four stars and guys maybe we haven't seen, and you're thinking, why, why isn't this guy playing? He's, he's like, I, everybody wanted him. Well, there's a reason he's not playing. It's because in practice, other guys are better than that individual, regardless right. if he is a five-star or not. Right. Um, and I think that's an important component of this. Just because the team may have struggled some Friday, it's not like the coaches have better players sitting on the bench ready to go. I mean, they're playing to win, so they're, they're playing their best guys. And what's the motto, Ben, right? The players decide he's going to play. Right, right. Um, now, there's no question Keyshawn Silver and Javari Ritzy and all these guys are going to see more playing time as the year comes along. I imagine they'll play a lot Saturday if it goes according to plan. Uh, but at this part of the season, I mean, let the guys slowly come on. Let them continue to learn. I mean, this is their first game week of understanding what it is to install a game uh, – play session okay plan plan game plan yeah <laughs> it's getting late um it's the first week of actually doing that that's a big deal so i understand the push to want to get some of these younger guys in they will they will get playing time when they earn it now linebacker may be a different story right <laughs> we haven't figured that one out yet um but yeah, I, I think they did a pretty good job, especially up front, with getting more guys in. Um, I think it's what surprised me was Christian Varner. I mean, he played a lot in the first half, so I think that that says a lot about what they think of him. And uh, yeah, I just feel like Varner is a guy that we just haven't talked a whole lot about. 
Well, even with with Virginia Tech move like moving up and down the field the first quarter and the first half. I mean, that's something where in the past Bateman might have left it to Vahasek and Fox and his guys, right? That he trusts and be like, all right, get it together. But what Mac and him have said is, look, if you the, you can't take advantage of your depth if you don't use it. And so in the past, right, when the defense looks like that, he leaves those starters in, Jason Strobridge, Aaron Crawford, those guys for snaps on snaps on snaps. But he rotated it in, and it worked, right? And guys were fresh. And Ray even talked about that today, that he felt great in the fourth quarter, right? And it's not something that necessarily he's gotten the luxury of. Yep, it's an interesting take. Uh, you know, build the depth, go out and handle business against Georgia State. We'll talk about uh, the plan against Georgia State with Greg Barnes and Jason Staples when we record the game plan podcast uh, Wednesday night. Greg, last question. What surprised you the entire weekend, college football? Anything? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure that anything really surprised me. Uh, I think Georgia is legit. I think Clemson's defense is every bit as good as we thought it would be. The fact that the DJ uh, is is not the runner uh, that some of prior Clemson quarterbacks were is going to hurt Clemson's offense a little bit. But I do think Georgia's – man, I think the Georgia-Bama game is going to be fascinating to watch in a couple months. Um, I mean – Alabama's Alabama. So I don't, I'm not taking anything out of what they did to Miami. I mean, I thought Miami fought, but you know, a few plays early kind of went against them and it was over. Um, it, not a good look for, for the ACC with how things went. Last night was embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, Satterfield's one of those guys. I mean, a lot of conversation about him coming, coming here uh, back in 2018. And, uh, you know, that guy's going to have a hard time keeping his job in Louisville. They don't get better. But, you know, I do think some teams look pretty good. I mean, BC did what they needed to do. And granted, we're talking about playing cupcakes. Same for Pitt. Pitt and Virginia. But they all did what they needed to do, and they took care of business. And NC State. Went big. Yeah, State looked good. So, I, I think there's a lot of teams, fringe top 25 teams in the ACC. Um, I think Clemson's legitimate top 10 with that defense. Sure. And it, it's just going to be a matter of which of these teams makes the corrections, makes adjustments, uh, develops their players by the end of the year. That's going to be able to be a team that, that steps up as, hey, we're number two behind Clemson in this league. I think there's a lot of teams right now that can, can do that. I was in Carter Finley on Thursday night. And, oh, you uh, were there. I went, yeah. Free ticket and free food and free alcohol is always going to get me there. It's you a tough night for Cade. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, South Florida, man, they used to be good too. What in the world? And they uh, were bad and Fortin looked. Uh, it was a rough night for the home team. Uh, Duke lost to Charlotte. Home team being Cade Fortin, former heel. Yes, Duke losing to Charlotte. I mean, Georgia Tech, uh, is, the ACC is brutal. Um, and I think that is why so many Carolina fans are so upset about losing Virginia Tech because this is an opportunity um, to get to that top echelon or, yeah. to, or to the second position fairly I mean, easily. Right. That's why I picked 
UNC to beat Clemson in the AC championship game because I they're it's not the normal Clemson that we've seen. And they showed that on Saturday, granted against Georgia. But yeah. The the top 25 ranking issue though, uh, I mean, because of what we just talked about with the ACC struggling, I mean, look at North Carolina's schedule coming up. I mean, the the only like good team on their schedule before the Miami game is Virginia. So how much are you going to impress voters between now and the middle of October, especially if that Virginia game's close? Yeah, none. Yep. So they'll, they'll move up just because they're winning and because other teams are losing. But it's not because the voters all of a sudden say, hey, yeah, well, this is a legitimate top 10 team again. We won't know that until you know, North Carolina plays Miami and Notre Dame in those back-to-back games. Florida State was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. McKenzie Milton's story is awesome. Yep. I was extremely Agreed. happy for that kid. Yeah. Jordan Travis looked good too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought I turned like that a game off. Team. I turned that game off. It's 38 21. Then my dad texted our group chat and said, um, Florida State's taking Notre Dame to overtime. I said, What? <laughs> yeah. I saw 38 21. I was like, Man. Yeah. Florida State looked good. I mean, but Florida State looked really good against Carolina in the first half last year. Did, and they were Did terrible. they look really good though? Well, they were up thirty-one to seven. I mean, they yeah, they played well so. enough, but um, you know, I, I just think this loss for Carolina, and I'll say this last time I'm going to talk about Virginia Tech, that loss will hang on Carolina's neck just like South Carolina did in 2015. Because until Virginia Tech shows that they're good, I don't think they're that good. They're decent. They're top twenty, top twenty-five, um, but Carolina losing that game is going to make this season, make each game more and more important um, to, to get where they're trying to go. Somebody asked me to talk about the Virginia Tech uh, atmosphere. Um, did not like to drive up the mountain and did not like to drive down the mountain, but the tailgate was awesome with a bunch of inside Carolina people. Um, had the pleasure to do that in the neighborhood um, next to the stadium. Um, some in-laws had, not my in-laws, some inside Carolina people in-laws had uh, a house there. It was awesome. Um, played a little, few little drinking games and did all that. Walked to the stadium. Only had one Virginia Tech person say anything, and that was a Virginia Tech female student tell us to enjoy the bus ride home. Um, you didn't try to we fight the entire back. student section? No, but uh, one Virginia Tech person who I knew came up and tried to talk junk to the crowd I was with, and I had to tell – um, him that that was you know that's not a hill you want to die on brother <laughs> and uh so anyway it was awesome inner sandman was awesome the parachuting in i love that environment so anyway um it's a must see for a big game and quite frankly virginia tech people gave me hell on twitter because i thought it would be the last time virginia tech had a must see game for a long while but anyway awesome experience good time fun trip Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall. This has been On The Beat Live, 10.02, Tuesday, September 7th. We're going to get out of here. Johnny T-Shirt sponsors us. Get some Blue Shirt Vodka. Bring it to the Bowls lot when we're doing Inside Carolina Live. Uh, three hours before kick on Saturday with Joey Powell. Greg Barnes and I will be back with the Game Plan Podcast later in the week. Gregory Hall, much thanks running the board. G Biggie, I'll see you in a little bit. To our listeners, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.